For the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be going to a sermon series through the book of Luke. Uh, and so I'll encourage you out on the front uh, welcome center there. Uh, there's like a little bookmark that has uh, passages of Luke every single day for the next few weeks that are laid out that we're going to go and read through the entire book of Luke. So if you want to, uh, if you already have a devotional of what you're doing, watch this. That's okay. Do what God's calling you to do. If you're in the word right now, that's great. But if you are interested in saying, you know what, I'd like to know where they're going in the sermon series. I'd like to read it, maybe be ahead of it to, as we preach about this. So if you're like going, you know what, I'll be honest, I probably haven't picked up my Bible consistently like I needed to, that could be a big help. Then that's what we're encouraging you to do right now. Out there on the front, again, it's like a little bookmark, uh, takes it all through the few weeks of going through the entire book of Luke. Well, today, as we start out, we're actually going to go and do the first four verses within Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And the question is, why did Luke write this to begin with? Why did he write it? <laughs> they did not have videos. YouTube, they did not have it. That's a great point. They didn't have this. So as you're looking at this, Luke is writing, and we find out that within these first four verses that Luke is getting us to think about who it was to and how is the application for us to be played out. So let's read, read with me. In Luke chapter one, verse one, it says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have the certainty, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, Luke tells us something from the very beginning here as he's talking to Theophilus that one, he's not the first person to do this. It tells us as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. Luke, at this point in time, is just in a line. Now, we understand that Mark and Matthew are dated in the way they are that are before Luke, but here's the thing. Luke is not doing something new. In this moment, he is compiling what others have gone before, and part of the reason why he is doing it is because Theophilus, which we don't know much of anything about, but Theophilus is probably a young believer that needs to be reaffirmed that this stuff is true. Needs to be able to understand that what he is putting faith in that's life-altering is something that he can have confidence in. The first point we look at today within this is this. Know what and why you believe. Know what and why you believe. Now, why is that important? Be unshakable. You know what I have realized? What I have realized is some people were taught something growing up and then they'll never question it. Never. It's what I've been taught. It's what I grew up with. Is it true? Well, my daddy taught me, was your daddy God? Did he ever make a mistake? See, church, here's what I have found. 
If we don't know what and why we believe, if we're afraid to ask questions because, well, it, it, if, if I ask this question, it, it may fall apart, then it isn't worth following. It's not worth following. You know the reason, personally, why I continue to preach this? is because as I've gone through my life, I've asked tough questions. I've been able to ask tough questions of the scripture because here's what I want. I want to live under truth, not under feeling. I want to live under what is true because in truth, we're set free. There are consequences to what you believe. If you believe the right thing, there are consequences. If you believe the wrong thing, there are consequences. Anybody an electrician? Anybody dealt with electricity? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that you could work on electricity and not shut it off and not get shocked? Anybody gotten shocked? Watch this. You can believe all day long, I've done this a thousand times and it don't matter and I'm gonna do that. I'm just gonna do that. I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't matter which, there are facts that you deal with. There are consequences to actions and it doesn't matter how you feel. You may get away with it first time, 10 times, 20 times, but I'm telling you, the fact remains, it's, electricity can kill you. There's a reason that it's laid out. The scriptures are laid out in such a way. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now, listen to what Paul begins to answer because somebody within this realm began to say, there's no such thing as the resurrection. There's no such thing as the resurrection. Guess what? We die and we become spirit bodies, but there's no such thing as the resurrection. That's not important. Well, listen to what Paul says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Do you see what Paul just did there? Well, we're just not gonna believe the resurrection, but we love this other stuff about Jesus. And Paul just said this. If you are going to have a belief, you're gonna have to take it all the way out to what's the consequence. And church, I'm gonna tell you, we don't do that. And we don't like that. But it goes all the way out to the consequence. And let me ask you a question. Let's just say, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, what's that mean? We can't be raised either. And guess what? What I believe is foolish. Is what the scripture tells us. If I am going to not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but... I'm gonna have a good Christian attitude. You've hijacked it and made it your own. Christianity is Christ. It's not principle, it's the living God. We find ourselves in this moment following after him. There's consequences to what we believe. Also is this, 
When you know what and why you believe, again, it gives you confidence, a foundation, but it allows you to do this. It allows you to be okay when you're wrong. How many of y'all like being wrong? Like this, nobody's raising their hand, right? I don't like it at all. But if I'm always right, then I'm God. If I'm always right, I'm God. If I never have to say I'm sorry, I'm God. But when we begin to look at something that's above us and it begins to correct us, then I can be confident knowing this. I don't have to know all the answers. I just know the one who knows it. It allows me to be more confident in what's going on. It also tells us this, knowing what and why you believe, there's a reason for this. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us something. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Somebody is going to at some point in time ask you why you believe what you believe. Now, sometimes, let's just agree with this. We're never gonna understand all of who God is, right? Because if you understand all of who God is, he's a little God. He's not worth knowing if I can understand him. This little finite mind. But there are things we can know. Some things I'll have to say, I don't know, but I just believe and hear the things that have caused this but I'll also throw this at you. If you always say, well, I just believe, I just believe, what did the Bible say? Give a defense, give a reason, being able to go back, being able to go back and say, this are the, these are the reasons on which I stand and what I've come about. Do you know one of the greatest ministries that need to be done within the church right now? If you wanna see, if you wanna see uh, the world Come to know Christ. There's two, I'll give you two examples of things you can do. One, love people and serve. Love people and serve. Do loving acts for people in service and then tell them about Jesus. If you just do loving acts, but you don't tell them why, what's the point? There's people that do loving acts all the time. But when you start to do loving acts and you start to do kindness and you start to minister to people and then you say this, it's because Jesus has changed my life, his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm a different person and I love you because he first loved me. Now all of a sudden you've got them thinking. If not, and you just do something nice, they'll say, well, they did something nice. I'm gonna go do something nice for somebody else. That's a, that's a one-way ticket to hell. But the beauty of it is if I begin to say, I do this because Jesus has done this, that's a whole other thing. Here's the second thing. Second thing is this, answer people's questions. This is gonna sound crazy. If we would be a church that would be so prepared and understanding, I don't know all the answers, I don't know everything, but I'm gonna start answering people's questions with gentleness and respect. How did the Bible get put together? Why do you even trust it? How do you know it's not full of errors? You know what most people go? 
I just, I just believe it. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that God can't work within that, but here's, how many of you all in here have that question? And why haven't you chased it down? Why haven't you began to look and to figure out, well, how did it get put together? How can I, how do I know about Jesus? It's amazing if we'll actually go and not, we'll actually go and chase down truth. It's, a, it's amazing how God shows up. Be prepared to give a defense for the faith and do it with gentleness and respect. If somebody thinks something different from you, don't go, well, you're stupid. What's wrong with you? What have you done in that moment? Even if you're right, you know what you've done? You've insulted somebody. By the way, the Bible says that if you call somebody a fool, you're in, that's dangerous to being in damnation. Somebody may do something foolish, that's an action. To call somebody a fool is that they were somebody that God shouldn't have even made to begin with. Don't ever call anybody a fool. Don't ever treat anybody like that. The only people that Jesus went off on when he was harsh were the Pharisees who knew better and were deliberately misrepresenting the gospel. But Jesus sat with people and allowed them to ask questions and begin to answer what was going on because there's misconceptions in this world. Know what and why you believe. And don't be scared to ask questions. God can handle your questions. If you want to seek after him, he's not, he's not scared of your questions at all, at all. And on top of that, that you may have, verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You can have certainty, confidence. That when somebody asks you a crazy question, you're confident because you've seen what this is. Now, second point. Two, you should have confidence that what the Bible records is true. You should have confidence that what the Bible records is true. I run into this all the time from different people. I tell you what, I love that Jesus, but I don't like some of the teachings of Paul. I love that Jesus, but that Old Testament stuff, ugh. I love that Jesus, but I don't read these passages here because I just, ugh. Well, let me ask you a question, just, just asking a question. Are those passages that you don't like wrong? And if they are, how do you know the passages about Jesus are right? You're picking and choosing. When you pick and choose, you're saying, well, I believe this, why? Because you just like it. You've made yourself God. I'll tell you a word that I didn't like a long time in the Bible. I won't get into it now, it's just an example. I'll, just, I'll tell you a word I did not like in the Bible. I didn't like predestination. Did not like that word. I would skip over that word every time I began to read and I would stick with Jesus and I'd stick with other things. And the Holy Spirit really got a hold of me. What are you, why do you get to pick? Why do you get to pick? Why do you get to pick? So I started to, ask questions. I started to study. I started to be prepared that maybe the way that I had thought about things was wrong. And God was right. You know, here's the great thing as I began to 
study and open up. I believe in predestination, but not as it's been defined by some. It's in the Bible. I've seen kind of what's going on. I've studied, I've researched, and I'm still open to be proven that what I believe is wrong. But here's what I know. Church, either you can trust this or you can't, but you don't get to pick and choose what you like out of it. We are challenged in this moment to be able to have confidence. And why can we have confidence? What's the point of having, how can we even have confidence? Well, I'm gonna throw some things at you that I think are awesome. One, historically. If you go back and look at the Bible and take it through a historical lens and context, it is amazing how accurate the Bible is historically. Amazing. You can go through there and you can say, you know what, this was a real place. This is a real place that existed. This was a travel route that Paul took. This is where Jesus showed up. This is what he was doing. Did you know, I think it's either 1800s or 1900s. Did you know that there was in the science community up into the 1800s that King David, they did not believe existed? Do you know that? Now, if you've grown up in church your entire life, you just take it for granted. Well, King David, the Goliath, everything else. I mean, yeah. But here's the thing. But the academic world was like going, who is this? You know what they started to come across? That's what I love. You know what they came across? And they started doing a dig. They found stuff. First time they had ever found it, ever. They found stuff inscribed to King David during the time. Then all of a sudden, you know what the archeology span people had to do? Even the atheist had to do. Well, maybe, I guess so. See, the beautiful thing about the Bible is this. The reason why God gives us details and facts is because it's not a myth. There's truth in here. Let me throw another one at you, which is probably the one. Um, well, again, historical, verifiable. You can go back and look through things to see, is this true? Is this laid out? You begin to ask all the way through. Prophecy. This one blows my mind. In the Old Testament, 1,500 years before Jesus shows up, there are prophecies about who this person is gonna be. Read Isaiah 53 at some point in time. The Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem and come out of Egypt. How did that happen? Anybody know? That's not a rhetorical question. Anybody know? What? That's right. So the consensus, where did he grow up at? Then Jesus. Where did Jesus grow up at? Nazareth. Then they had the census. He had to be born in Bethlehem. Herod wanted to kill the kids. Went to Egypt after Herod died. Where'd he come? He came from Egypt. I'm just telling you right now, when you start to put all the prophecies together, you're like going, I'm just, ain't nobody do that. Nostradamus, Nostradamus, just to know people out there, it's like, well, Nostradamus, it used to be you'd read the Enquirer and every few years they'd come up with something Nostradamus had predicted. Did you know, in all honesty, if you ever wanna just read through something, Nostradamus made all kinds of prediction. He was only 33% right. Let me tell you something. You give me enough things, I'll be 33% right. I'll predict all kinds of stuff. You write enough things, all of a sudden you're like going, well, he's right about that one. He's right about that. That's not prophecy. That's just guessing. That's reading the culture. 
Jesus fulfills 100% of the prophets predicted about the Messiah that's supposed to be born at a different time. That gives us more confidence that the Bible is true. And then we get into the miraculous. Did you know that right now, scholars that are Bible scholars, whether they be Christian, atheist, agnostic, all Bible scholars will 100% tell you that Jesus was a real person. Now, you're gonna get some of those people out there that are YouTube people and everybody else that sit there and say, well, Jesus wasn't even a real person. If you look at this God and you look at this tradition and you look at that, I'm just gonna tell you, they've not done the research. They've heard it from somebody else who's heard it from somebody else who's heard it from somebody else and they've come up with these concoctions and they're like going, well, it's, it's this God of this one and this God of this one and all gods rose from the dead and this is just a, I'm gonna tell you right now, they have only picked up, they've hodgepodge, they've not done any research, zero. I'm just gonna tell, and watch this. Well, Sean, I don't know if I believe you. Good, then go circa doubt yourself. That's what I'm telling you. You get it? When we see the scripture and we see this laid out, the miraculous, every historical scholar will tell you that Jesus was a real person that existed. And you can find sources outside of the Bible, Tacitus, Roman, Roman historian. There's different things that show that Jesus existed. All historical, but here's the crazy thing. Academic across, something happened to the disciples because they went from being cowards or killing Christians to laying down their lives to share the gospel. There is something that happened. The miracles that take place in this moment, if it's historically accurate, if it's verifiable, if prophecies are there, then why should it be so hard that I begin to look at the miracles that are taking place? Again, church, please hear me. And again, this sermon, I know this sermon is gonna be a little bit hard today. Because here's the thing, you're like going, what can I just do to take away from here? This is not the simple sermon that you get your answer, which is what scares me in church today because we just want the application and then let me go. But the Bible is challenging us to be intimate with God, to seek after what's going on, to know why we believe and what we believe I'm telling you, you can trust it, but I've done some study. My question is this, how do you know you can trust it? Luke, listen to what Luke did. Undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. He went and talked to eyewitnesses, he went and did this for Theophilus because Theophilus had a relationship with Luke. But he did all this saying, I want you to know right now what you can trust. You've had a relationship with me. I'm telling you, I went and did my research. I went and I talked to eyewitnesses. I went and I did all this stuff. I did it to encourage you in the faith. And we should, and sh we should take exactly what Luke says. But do you know right now that our college students, even high school, Losing them left and right. Do you know why? They're being told adamantly that this can't be trusted. Jesus isn't real. And you know what we haven't done? We've not given them a defense. 
we've not given them anything to stand on. So you know what they say? Yeah. Well, why do you believe? I just believe. Again, it's good enough for us for salvation, but the Bible tells us be ready to give a defense. And we don't do that just for us. We do that also to love people in the name of Jesus that they can believe this. Look at the scripture. Be prepared to answer questions. And this is where at three, ultimately, you have to decide if you believe the work and person of Jesus. Ultimately, you have to make a choice. Ultimately, you have to figure out what you are placing your faith in. If we go and we look at Genesis, I'm gonna have you, you write this down, you look at it on your own, okay? So Genesis 17, 15 through 19, and Genesis 18, 9 through 15. First one is Genesis 17, 15 through 19, Genesis 18, 9 through 15. The Lord reveals to Abraham that he's going to have a child. Abraham's response at this moment is, he laughs and he says, pretty old, don't see how that's gonna happen, but he receives it. Sarah is in the tent and overhears at some point and she starts to laugh. But God gets a hold of her and says, you don't believe. Now, both of them laughed. Both of them heard it. What's the difference? Why does one seem to be rebuked and the other one not? See, it's all in how we receive things. I don't understand everything about the scripture. I never will. But I have a belief right now, especially after studying, after going through it, after looking, the things that I don't understand, but God has shown me and I've proven over and over again that this book is reliable, that God's word is reliable. So when I run across a question, I don't go, the whole thing's falling apart. I'm going, you know what? You're gonna have to give me time to look. I'm gonna have to see. Again, I won't be able to answer every question because then I would be God. Our God's bigger than that. But here's the other thing. If I look at this and I just go, I don't even wanna know. I don't even wanna know. I'll just take what I want. Belief. Faith in God means that I trust him, understand, and at some point in time when he says move, I have to take the leap of faith and jump. Belief is not, I have good principles and I know Bible stories and I go to church and I understand all that, but I really don't listen to what God tells me to do. I just feel good about myself. That's not belief. Belief, looking at it, understanding, knowing that it's true, even 
Luke inadvertently gives Theophilus permission to ask questions. It's verifiable. You can trust this so that Theophilus will grow in his faith, that he will take the step that when Jesus calls him to do something, that he actually jumps. Does your faith cause you to step out and follow Christ? Or are you still sitting down with just intellectual acknowledgement? Do you know the Bible or do you live the Bible? Do you know about God or do you have a relationship with Christ? The Pharisees could quote your scripture left and right, do the law, make sure they went through everything else, but they couldn't even recognize Jesus when he was right in front of their face. Peter believed Christ, a little hard-headed, Glad none of us are like that. Sometimes telling Jesus who he was going to be. Glad none of us are like that. You do catch my sarcasm, right? But time and time again, you are the Christ. You are God. A coward in one moment, and in the next moment, redeemed by Christ, that Peter laid down his life that the world may know that Jesus is who he said that he is. So I'll ask you this morning, what do you believe about Jesus? Is it here or is it here? Is it intellectual or does it actually make a difference to cause you to step out to follow him and to walk with Christ? Two, if somebody asks you for the hope that you have, would you be able to give a defense of what you believe with gentleness and respect? Or would you just say, I, 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 I just believe. Church, I want to encourage you. I'm telling you now, the beauty of it. God's asking you to go deeper with him, not only for confidence for you, but also to evangelize the world. You'd be amazed what happens when you answer questions of people. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed when you love people and care for them and somebody goes, why? And you say, because Jesus has changed my life. That's why I'm doing this for you. You'd be amazed what happens in that moment but you have to ask questions and you can't be scared of the answers and you gotta go deeper into your faith because that's intimacy. I've known my wife for 21 years, been married for 20. If we'd have just gotten married and left it at that, we'd still be married. There wouldn't be any depth to the relationship. You know what? I know her. And in some ways, sadly enough, she knows me. We were talking about our sermon yesterday. 
I was talking about the sermon, and I asked her some questions, and I was like, what do you think about this? Tell me what you think, and she's bringing up passages, and she's talking scripture with me, and then she looks at me, and she goes, you know, she goes, sometimes we've got to defend our face, and she goes, I mean, faith, and I was like going, I'm glad we're defending the faith. I'm defending my face. Somebody's going to go, Sean, you're ugly, and I'm like, I got no, I got no response. I mean, what can I say? But if we're talking about the faith in walking in Christ, I can give a defense of that because it's true. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Are you going deeper in relationship, not just to know facts, but in intimacy with God? Where are you at with God right now? 